Turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32. You can grab a Bible in the pew in front of you. This morning we are finishing up a series that I was doing called A Summer of Story. Looking at the major stories of the Bible and trying to engage with them about what they might have to say for us in our own lives. <coughs> we finish today with the story of the golden calf. Starting at the beginning of Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered together, gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we did not know where, what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in your, the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their rings of gold uh, that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, and they said these, are, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with a great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, kill them, to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of testimony in his hands, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war coming in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory, or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made 
and burned it with fire and ground it into a powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. This is a strange story for us to understand. Let's be really honest. The Israelites look like idiots here. This is Exodus. What's happened before this? They've been taken out of the slavery in Egypt. Not just, not just because Pharaoh let them go, but because of the ten plagues. Because the Red Sea was parted. And here they are. They get out the woods. Get in the wilderness. Get away from all of that. Heading towards the promised land. And Joshua and Moses go up on the mountain to hear a word from the Lord. We know what he's getting. He's getting the Ten Commandments. God is setting up the laws and the ways that he wants Israel to behave. And here they are. I don't know. A month later. A couple months later. Not a real timeline here. But pretty close to where all this really cool stuff has happened. Stuff that you and I have never seen anything like it. <coughs> and they say, let's... Let's, let's make a calf. Let's get gold and we'll make an idol and we'll, we'll worship this idol. As if this idol that we just made is the one that actually got us out of the land of Egypt. It's stupid. Let's be honest. It's real stupid. And it's really hard for us to get even a grasp of this. Because even though there is idol worship in different parts of the world even to this day, for us that is so foreign and archaic and ancient. What are the Israelites doing? How do we make sense of this? Even further, idolatry is one of the things the Bible talks about a lot. It's one of the most returned to topics in all the Bible. Even as we get into the New Testament, they come back to it. Don't worship idols. Don't worship idols. How do we make sense? How do we understand and how do we learn from all this understanding of idols? (coughs) Well, the Bible gives a real different perspective on idols than we may think. Uh, the Bible starts, I'm going to get a little theological here, but i got to build some groundwork for getting really practical, so stay with me. The Bible starts with God. God who is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as the Bible sort of develops this understanding of God, what we see is that there's, there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit relating to each other. They are one God and yet separate persons, and that's really hard for us to kind of get a grasp of. But that means that forever God has within God's self continually poured out himself uh, with each other. That always God has been, the Father has been worshipped and and adored by the Son. The Spirit has always pointed to and worshipped the the Son. I mean, it's just this constant love and appreciation for one another within the Trinity. Then there's so much love in the Trinity, not that God needs anything, but God decides, God's de- God decides to create human beings. And when He does so, God makes human beings in His image. Now what does that mean, in His image? Well, some of it means that as human beings we're able to create, we're able to sustain and take care of creation. Part of it is the work that we get in continuing God's work. But part of what we also get in our God image-bearing self is this whole idea that we too are supposed to pour ourselves out for something else. It was designed to be done for God. 
We were going to pour ourselves out for God. And so our lives had meaning and purpose because of who we were in God. Because God gave us work to do to sustain and fulfill the world. Adam has work to do. It's not good for Adam to be alone, is it though? Because Adam's not designed to be alone. He's designed to pour himself out into other things and out into other people. But it was meant to be God first. It was meant to be his family second and his work third. That's ultimately what worship means. Worship is an outpouring of ourselves. Worship means that we take something and we make it important. And we lift it up on a pedestal. And we live our lives sort of around it, sort of looking at this thing, making it important. We give honor and glory to something. We sacrifice for something. This is what human beings were created to do. That's a little different than what we think about as worship. We tend to think about sitting in pews and singing and and listening to a sermon. But when you think about this outpouring and this honoring of something else, actually you can come to church every Sunday and not really engage in worship. But that's a sermon for another day. We were all created to worship God, but the fall ruined that. Now, what is the ultimate test of Adam and Eve? What's the ultimate trial? Satan comes to them, and, and Satan doesn't say to them, hey, here's some tasty fruit. That's how we tend to think about the fall. Here's some tasty fruit. You want some tasty fruit? Yeah, I'm tempted by tasty fruit. No. What does Satan say to them? In Genesis, he says, you will be like gods. You will be like gods. And ever since then, human beings have had a fundamental problem. Instead of worshiping God with their lives, instead of aiming and focusing their lives around God's plan and God's will, we've been worshiping other things. Here's how Paul describes the problem in Romans chapter 1. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their heart to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and here's the big text, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. See, we, we all worship. That's what we're designed to do. We're designed to pour ourselves out and sacrifice ourselves for something else. But the problem with the fall is that we take things that shouldn't be worship and we worship them. And we take God who is the thing that should be center in our lives and we make him secondary to these other things. We take good things that God calls us to do and we make them ultimate when only God should be ultimate. So I think it's a bit easier now to see why Israel did what they did. Because this is what human beings do. Early forms of, of, of uh, early civilizations that we have history of, they all tried to worship God somehow. They all kind of figured that, you know, it's not just us that we're dependent on. We need sun and we need rain. And so they thought, well, th- there must be something up there that's going to bring us this rain or bring us this sun and we better keep whatever's up there happy. So they would go up to high places to get closer to these gods. They would name them and worship them. And they would also, we find historically, make statues to represent these gods. Although always it became a little fuzzy 
whether they were worshiping the god that the statue was supposed to represent or whether they would start worshiping the statue. In fact, in almost every society, it ended up being the statue that they worshiped and not really the god behind the statue. It may be easy for us to sit back and judge these primitive people to be able to judge Israel. We wouldn't do anything so archaic and so simple-minded as worship idols. But wait a minute. The Bible says a lot about this. Maybe idol-making is part of human history. We may not make golden calves. Spike, you want to check? There's a wire that's stuck up there. Is it, there's a wire that's touching in the back. Just shake stuff. We may not, we not make golden calves, but I think we still have this problem of worshiping things that we shouldn't. Let me give you a couple of examples. Listen to this very interesting verse from Philippians chapter 3. Their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. Thanks, Frank. With minds set on earthly things. Their God is their belly? How is your belly your God? Well, maybe that means that whatever you desire, whatever you hunger for, you long for, maybe that can be your idol. Certainly with the amount of obesity that we see, especially in America today, I think food can really be an idol. Think about it. How many people, when we get stressed, turn to food for comfort? How many people, when we need energy, turn to food for energy? Guess what? Food can become our Lord very quickly. Maybe it's not the food itself. Maybe it's the comfort that the food gives us. That's what we really want. That's what we really strive for. That's what's really central in our life. I just want to be comfortable. I see the reverse of this when I go to the Y. I go to the YMCA. And I see people come in there and they've got, you know, very tight outfits, very well coordinated in color. They're always talking to each other about their deltoid muscles. They work out in front of the mirror, which there are a ton of them in the, in the Y, which I actually don't like. I don't really like to see myself work out, but there are some that really do. If you ever go in the Y, they'll stand in front of the mirror and watch themselves do whatever their exercise they do. And they'll put their weights down and they'll start to pose, right? Have you seen these people in the mirror at the gym? Start to look at their muscles a certain way. And isn't it amazing that we wouldn't be so archaic as to worship statues. And yet I go to the gym and I see people making themselves in the statues. They worship themselves. Or maybe it's not themselves. Maybe, maybe what they really worship is the opinion of others. Maybe what they really worship is uh, what's really most important to them is being healthy because they're scared of dying. I mean, maybe that's what's most important to them. Maybe what's most important to them is the voice of that gym teacher in middle school that made fun of how they weighed, and so they lived their entire life trying to take care of that voice. So much so that the voice of God is very much a secondary voice in how they spend their time and how they put forth their energy. Is it okay to be healthy and in shape? Yeah. Idols are very often good things. We need jobs. We need food. We need to be healthy. We like sports and distractions. We like and need comfort. 
The problem is not the thing itself. The problem is us. That we tend to take things that are good, things that are from God, and make them into God. We make them ultimate. We make them central. When only God is supposed to be central. We worship and prioritize around things that we shouldn't. And things that we should become secondary. This morning I want to ask you, what are your idols? What are you really living for? What is ultimate for you? What is driving your decision making? What is driving you in your life to do the things that you do and to be the person that you are? This is a helpful description when you think about idols. I I want to give you some more examples of idols. Pastor Mark Driscoll talks about kind of an acronym for idols. You you may want to write this down because I think it's worth considering later. Idols. I. Items. Idols can very quickly become our stuff. It sounds simple that our clothes, homes, or cars might become our idols. Maybe it's not just the items. Maybe it's the reputation behind them. The prestige. The self-image that we can portray. As Mark Driscoll says, our goods are the carriers of our meaning. How we dress, where we live, says a lot about who we are and who we see ourselves to be. It's not to say you can't have stuff. It's not to say that you can't enjoy stuff. But your stuff can't be ultimate because only God is supposed to be ultimate in your life. I love sports. But sports can really quickly become an idol. In fact, if you look at what happens in stadiums where people yell and cheer and sing, even the architecture and names of old stadiums, before we started naming them after companies that sponsored them, often referred to ancient churches, ancient sanctuaries, to false gods. I mean... Items. D, duties. Our responsibilities can quickly become our idols, whether it's our job, our position in the community or in an organization, even in the church. What we do can often start to define who we are. Many of us can find that to be a challenge in our work. If what we do becomes central to us, then we have an idol. I met a lot of people who work so much that they can't really see their children or their spouse very often, who work on their day off and take their laptop on vacation. See, work can quickly become an idol. I mean, think about it. God tells you to honor your family. But if work tells you you've got to answer the phone every time it rings, well, then God's not your Lord. Work is your Lord. God tells you to take a Sabbath. But if you can't take Sabbath because you always got to be working then don't tell me that Jesus is your Lord because work is your Lord. Items, duties, O is for others. You are not meant to be alone. You are meant to be in relationship. But the problem is when we take our relationships and we make them ultimate, we make them everything that we work for, many of us end up living for other people. I know many people that are still living to make their parents happy. I know people who are living to make their parents happy, even though their parents are no longer even alive. They're still trying to prove to their parents that they're good enough, that they're pretty enough, that they will become something. 
And that's the thing that really drives their lives, not what God calls them to be. What about people who care so much about what other people think of them that they bury themselves in debt to have the nicer things? I know people who live to make their spouses happy. Those relationships do not work out really well, does it? Do they? Because your, your spouse isn't always going to be happy. It's not your job to always make your spouse happy. You'd like to. You'd like to be able to support. But if, 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 if your own value and look at yourself is based totally on how your spouse feels, that's not good. That's an abusive relationship. Some people just live to impress their friends. We typically call these people high schoolers. But don't we all know adults that still try to do the same thing? Still try to get haircuts and wear clothing that's stylish and hip because they want to keep up. I know a lot of parents for whom their children become an idol. I love my children, but my children are not God. I can't do everything for my children. And don't we all know parents whose children have grown up and they've made really poor decisions and it has just crushed those parents? L for longings. It's good to hope and dream, but someday has the potential to consume this day. Our longings and our desires that can get us so wrapped up in what's going to happen in the future that, that any setback, any up and down on this roller coaster of life can really throw us off. Our longings for the future can, can really become an idol. And S... This one you may not think about. Suffering. A lot of times our suffering can become an idol for us. The things that we go through that are difficult in life can become so much a part of who we are that really we live in that identity. That's how we define ourselves. I am an abuse survivor or a cancer survivor. I have lost my job or been divorced. It can get to the point where our whole identity is wrapped up in our suffering. And that's not a good place to be. We may say that we want to be healthy and get past our suffering, but in reality it's so much a part of who we are that we don't want to let it go. Israel built a golden calf. Our idols may look a little different today, but we still have them. They may be more sophisticated, less tied to religion, and much less obvious to see. But we still have them. If we have something that we're living for that's not God, we have a counterfeit God. How do you know what your idols are? That's a very difficult question. Because a lot of us don't know ourselves well enough, and we aren't honest with ourselves well enough to be able to answer that question. Perhaps the best way is to think about your nightmares. What is it in your life that if you lost it, you would be so devastated that you would lose your will to live? If you can answer that question quickly, that thing might be your idol. Here's another question. If I gave you $20,000 right now, I'm not going to. But if I did, what's the first thing you would do with that money? The first thing you would do with that money. There's a good chance that whatever that is really may be your idol. 
I know that for me, if I got that money, I, I would put some money in the bank and I would pay off some debts because one of the things that I really like is security. That's one of my idols. What would you do if you had that money? You have to think about this a lot because a lot of times the thing that looks like the idol isn't really the idol. It's like the person who, who in the gym is posing and it looks like their body is their idol. But what's really driving that? What's the motivation? What, what, what ultimately motivates you and keeps you going? What is beneath what you do? What's the engine behind the decisions that you make? It's worth thinking about. Because the problem is that these idols, these things that we make ultimate in our life, they can't save you. Your idols will always let you, let you down. Your idols will always break your heart. I think this is why God is so justified in his anger with Israel. Not just because he had just saved them from, from slavery and then now they're betraying him. But because he knows that ultimately this golden calf isn't going to do anything for them. And I think that's why Moses does this really gross thing of melting down this golden calf, grinding it into powder and putting it in water and making the Israelites drink it. That's gross. But I think what Moses understands is what we need to understand. That we need to taste the bitterness of our idols. Sometimes we need to understand that our idols will not save us, that they will not get us where we need to go. I mean, this is why I think so many people who actually get their idols are the most miserable people. You look at people, we, we, a lot of us are not going to make a ton of money. A lot of us are not going to be real successful. We're going to have, you know, we can do good, but we're not going to be Donald Trump or somebody huge like that. You know those people that do make it big, that are popular, that do have all the big houses and all the money and finally do get their idols? There's a reason why those people drink and do drugs and often have much higher suicide rates than the rest of us. Because when you actually get your idol, it's one of the most miserable things in the world. Because then you're stuck facing the fact that when you look in the mirror, you're still you. That all your longings and desires to have this idol just didn't work out. There's only one answer. You were made to worship. This is what you do. It's wired into you. You were created to worship something. So you can't just put away all the idols. The only thing that you can do to really deal with this problem is find something that's worth worshiping. And the only thing that's worth worshiping is Jesus Christ. Because only Jesus can actually save you. All those other idols demand, okay, now you've got money, but you've got to keep working because you're going to get more. You're going to have to get more. You've got a new car, but you're going to have to, you're going to, have to keep going. You've got a new job, but, but you're going to want a new job later. You're going to want a promotion later. All those other things, they're just going to keep devastating you and keep driving you. Only Jesus takes action on your behalf sacrifices of himself only Jesus can answer those longings for worship that you ultimately have he's the only answer the only security the only, the only thing you can pour yourself out for that you're ever going to find fulfilling none of those other things can do that 
even if they're good things. And, and here's the power in this. The power in this is that when I get the Jesus as Lord right, all those other things that I tend to make idols, you know what? I can start to live with those properly. I can suddenly start to, to work in my job and work hard without it becoming an idol because Jesus is Lord. But amazingly, when I work hard at my job, I can actually worship Jesus in the process. I can raise my family in such a way that I give honor and praise to Jesus so that my family is not my Lord, but Jesus is my Lord, and I serve my Lord through my family. All of a sudden, I start to get the power to not be consumed by all these idols, but to work through them properly. Why? Because I put Jesus in the place that he should be. I show Jesus the honor and the prominence in the way I spend my money, in the way I spend my time, in the way I live my life, in the way I relate to others. Sometimes in life, we have to taste the bitterness of our idols so that we can taste the sweetness of all that God has done for us in Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. You were made to worship. It's not a question of if you're worshiping. It's a question of what you are worshiping. May that something be Jesus, and may all other things fail in comparison. Let us pray. Lord, it's my prayer that something in this sermon would speak to everyone here, that the business that you have to do with our hearts, with our minds, and with our lives would be done. Give us the courage to take a hard look at ourselves, an honest look. Lord, take the seat of lordship in our lives and help us to give up our grasp on anything else. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.